You're listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. Today, I'm here with Ellen Johnson, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at IPG. And I'm so excited for this conversation because this is a little bit different. Usually we're talking to solely communications professionals and you have a different job at a major communications company. So this is going to be an incredibly unique conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're so happy if you could be here. So at the beginning of each episode of the podcast, we always like to start by asking our guests the same question. And that is what they think is the biggest challenge facing women in the workplace today. So what do you think that would be? Sure. I think that the biggest challenge facing women in the workforce today is work-life balance. I mean, women bear a disproportionate burden from family caregiving responsibilities, not only during their family building years, but across their lifetime. And the data shows that there's still a massive gap between the share of women and men who are either not working or reduced working hours for child and family reasons. Women in 2022 alone were five to eight more times likely than men to experience a caregiving impact to their career. And I think that's because whether it's inadequate paid leave or lack of flexibility, um, lead many women to either reduce their hours or to drop out of the workforce entirely. You know, I feel that women constantly struggle with being pulled in multiple directions and feel like they're never in the right place. If they're working, they feel like that they're guilty that they're not with the people they should be taking care of. And with, their, with the people that they're taking care of, they feel guilty that they're not in the workplace. And they're constantly, you know, feeling that internal uh, tug of war. And if we're going to change that issue, I really think in addition to providing adequate benefits, which is just the basics, we need to give women space and permission to be vocal about what their needs are and to create a flexible and inclusive work environment that helps reduce that struggle. And that doesn't mean that we need to be 100% remote or even 100% hybrid. We just have to be flexible. You know, and I tell everyone on my team, irregardless of who they are, don't miss things. Don't miss the soccer game. Take your parents to the doctor. The work is going to get done. But I think by giving people, particularly women, permission and flexibility will reduce attrition, will create a stronger culture, and will allow women to rise to higher and more senior roles in the organization. I I love that you came to this with also a solution. That's so, I was going to ask, what would you do? But that's that's amazing. I mean, I think it's so incredible that you give that flexibility to your team. And I think that we're seeing so much lack of flexibility still, even as we've learned, it doesn't affect um, productivity. So I'm so glad that it's starting with you and I'm hoping we can see it just really, really expand across organizations. No, I agree. And I think it's flexibility, but you have to give people the space and make them feel really included so that they open up to you and tell you what their needs are. Because if we understand what they are, then we can help solve it. Yeah, that's so, so true. And I think through the pandemic, that really something you said just made me think of this. It was, it's almost gotten a little bit worse in terms of the openness because when people are working at home, they want to be more protective of, oh, you know, this other thing isn't happening in my household. Um, But you're totally right that the honesty and openness is really going to make a tremendous impact on that. Um, And hopefully that will, hopefully that will continue. 
I, I want to talk about your career and your entire career path. Um, you've had a variety of financial leadership roles, and I'd love if you take a moment to kind of walk us through what that looked like, how you got to where you are today. So what was your education like? Um, what were your first jobs, even fun, unrelated jobs in your youth? Um, and what was the path to get you where you are today? Sure. Um, I started out at a state school in uh, Albany, New York, uh, SUNY Albany. I was an accounting major um, and had took uh, my first job in public accounting and auditing. I worked for Coopers and Librand and I loved client service, but I didn't have the same affection for auditing. So I stayed with Coopers and Librand for a couple of years. I completed my CPA certification and then I left to explore other areas of finance. I took a job at Revlon where I wound up spending 10 years. I had various positions there from financial planning and analysis to treasury to corporate finance. And given the type of company that Revlon was that was burdened with a lot of debt, I became what they referred to as a high yield expert, um, which, um, you know, dial forward, you'll see why that was relevant. But I, I had a tremendous experience there, learned so much. And at the same time, I completed my executive MBA at NYU. So for two years, I worked full time and went to school full time, which was um, an interesting period in my life. Um, and then I eventually left Revlon because I had, as I mentioned, all that high yield experience, but I wanted to balance it out with high grade experience and so to work for an investment grade company. And that was IPG. So I took my first role 23 years ago as assistant treasurer on the international side of the business. And it was a great role, but shortly after I joined, IPG went through a very difficult period. IPG in the 90s was extremely acquisitive. It acquired a large number of companies but failed to properly integrate them. And as a result, the company had accounting issues, control issues, uh, was required to do a restatement of their financial statements and for a period of time was a non-compliant filer. And at the same time, they, they really failed to invest adequately in organically in the brands. And as a result, the company wasn't really growing and wasn't profitable. And so it was a very, very tough period of time. Um, and we went quickly from investment grade to high yield. And so dial forward, my high yield expertise came in very handy, this time for a company that was a service-based company, a little bit different than a manufacturing company. Um, but the experience turned out to be extremely relevant and I was promoted to treasurer, which was a huge responsibility and opportunity given the challenging times that the company was going through. And even to add to that, I had just learned that I was pregnant with twins with a 15 month home, home. So take together a troubled company <laughs> and an interesting time in my personal life. Uh, but putting that aside, a small group of us became an extremely cohesive management team and over many years turned the company around. And you know, looking back, that was one of the most amazing and gratifying experiences. And a, a lot of us are still together today which I think is really um, something you don't see in a lot of different uh, public companies, but a really special environment. And we still today really act as a team. 
And we took the company from what used to be referred to as the beleaguered IPG to the best performing holding group in the sector. Um, and we went from what was considered fallen, fallen angel to a rising star. And you know, we all take a lot of pride in what we were able to do together. And so, you know, that took us, you know, many years through IPG, but along the way, I kept getting asked if I would take on more responsibility. And I always said yes. So I took on the MA department, I took on the financial planning and analysis department. And in 2018, when one of the CFOs of our media business left, I was asked to take on a dual role. And while I was still SVP of finance at IPG, I was also CFO of our media business. And I did that for two years. Um, but I learned so much in those two years. I really loved having the operation experience and being part of the business, uh, not just a corporate. Um, and I learned so much. Um, and then finally in 2000, my predecessor retired and I took on the role that I'm currently in today. Wow, what a what a journey. And talk about work-life balance. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> when you <laughs> had all those babies at home. One thing um, I wanted to touch upon from that journey is your time going to NYU. So you said you were working full-time and going to school. Yes, that's correct. How did you make the decision to start that? And what was what was that balance like? I think that is a big question. This is a career podcast. We're often talking to people at different phases of their career. The question of like going back to school, not going back to school. And then especially in if you're in a field where you have to, kind of how do you manage it? Um, I'd love to hear more about that experience. Sure. Um, it was it was busy. I mean, I you know had two full-time and if anyone knows anything about Revlon, it was a lot of things, but definitely not the easiest place to work. So I was working a lot of hours at Revlon and then taking on a full-time uh, MBA. I, I knew for, for me to get to where I wanted to go in my career, an MBA was going to be important. And the choice was you either pull yourself out of the workforce and go to school full-time, and that's one decision. You could do it part-time, which takes many years, or I could try to be very, very focused on you know my career for two years and I chose that route. And it was a great route because all of the students that you were with were working full-time too. So you didn't only learn from the professors, but you learned from your fellow students. And it created a very rich learning environment. Sounds busy and, and amazing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that journey with us. That's really, it's incredible. And I mean, so unique at this point to be, at a company and really grow with it for so many years. Um, so I love hearing hearing about experiences like that. And like I said before, I'm just excited to speak with you for many reasons, but talking to a CFO for the first time on our podcast, we're gonna definitely learn a lot. Um, I'd love for you to tell us just more about your role and kind of where it sits within the organization and then what teams you work the most closely with. Sure. So I report uh, directly to our CEO, Philippe Krakowski, and my role is very interesting and very broad. So I am responsible for all the financial functions, IT, um, and real estate. Uh, the financial functions include accounting, tax, treasury, in internal audit, business transformation, commercial finance, corporate development, which is our M&A function, financial planning and analysis, and investor relations. In addition, 
all of our operating CFOs have indirect lines into May. So it is broad and multifaceted, uh, which keeps it very interesting. Uh, and since we're a talent-based business, I partner very, very closely with HR. And we work together all the time um, on many, many issues, including incentive design and compensation and talent management, um, which is a great partnership. I also work very closely with our legal department and our corporate communications group. Because like corporate communications, I am one of the voices of our company to our external constituents, whether it's our shareholders, our potential investors, our bondholders. Um, so that uh, partnership really helps. Do you have you do have a communications role <laughs> as part <laughs> as part of it all? Um, what is? I mean, I'm sure you've just learned so much over the years, and sounds like continue to just acquire acquire knowledge. Um, what is now maybe not your favorite, but what are some of your favorite parts of your job? What do you just love doing? So I um, I take a lot of pride in leading a very strong team at corporate. Um, I'm very lucky. Um, it is you know one of the best teams I can imagine. So I enjoy actively supporting them. I'm also passionate about continuing to pursue opportunities to use data and technology to make what we do on a day-to-day -day basis more efficient and more effective and continuing to drive to operational excellence. You know, we are a 10-year team, but we're not complacent and we continuously look for ways to improve what we do. I also really love being the communications person, being one of the external voices and working with our investors. However, over my 23 years, I have to admit, I've truly fallen in love with the advertising and marketing services industry. So I really do love working with our operators across our many disciplines to understand what their needs are, how their business needs are changing so rapidly, and how we can best support them. That's, that's incredible. It's, it's such a wide job. I can't even picture I, this is my one of my least favorite career questions, so I'm not even going to ask it. But like, what a typical day looks like. I'm guessing the answer is that no day is a typical. It's a typical that day. Is very, that is very true. It, it, it's um, there are certain things that you know become routine. We're public companies, so we have quarterly reporting. So I'd say that is you know one thing we can always expect and prepare for, but the challenges that arise on a day-to-day -day basis, whether they're HR related because we are talent-based, whether it is a new opportunity because the landscape that we're working in is evolving so quickly, it really keeps us all on our toes. And growing up, were you a math brain? Like what were you interested and excited about um, when you were in school? I am. Um, I have a diverse interest. I, I do have strong mathematical skills, always, always bad, always been interested in business, but I also was, you know, loved being in the theater. I loved being a cheerleader. I loved, you know, athletic things. I love team, you know, seeing team sports. So wide variety of interests. So it wasn't just like direct from math to business. Um, but I think that all of those, all of those interests combined sound like they really influenced the career that you've had. Absolutely. In a recent interview that we saw of you, you mentioned you don't see yourself as a finance person, but rather as a business person. And I'd love to, for you to elaborate on that and just give a little bit more insight into what you think makes a successful business person. Sure. 
I think a business partner is someone who's strategic and helps formulate the priorities and plans that are needed to drive growth and really partners with the operators to help get there. You need to be solutions oriented. You need to be proactive. You always need to bring a financial mindset and discipline to help deal with the challenges in solving them. For example, you know, what are the right capital allocation decisions to support growth? Or can you come up with a different method of pricing or how to solve a, a client's need financially? But you're coming out of it from a proactive partnership as opposed to just reporting the results um, at, or managing expenses. And so that's where I really see the difference. And a lot of our listeners are working in the communications industry, working within communications teams and their own organizations. Do you have any advice on how they can kind of effectively partner with the financial business side of the company to help achieve goals? Um, if you're not, I mean, I think everyone at this point in the world is kind of a business person, but maybe business partner, maybe don't necessarily consider yourself one. Um, what are some things that people might be able to do who aren't traditionally focused on the business side that will help either make their jobs easier or make communications with the other departments easier? Now, I love working with the communications group. I think together, you know, we can provide them maybe some background and insight as to some of the things that they're trying to figure out a communication strategy for. So we can put things in perspective of maybe why they're happening from, you know, a financial, from a growth, from a profitability perspective that are leading to the issues or challenges or opportunities they're trying to communicate externally about. I think it's about understanding the business and sharing information and sharing opportunities and challenges and be just being collaborative. And if you come together, there's nothing that you can't solve. I think that's great advice. I really, I think that that is really, really important. I, I'm so excited to speak to you as a woman in a leadership role, um, someone sitting in the C-suite. And I'd really love to hear you know, more of your advice around that. So what advice do you have for women who hope to rise up as you have in your career? Are there certain things along the way? We talked about your journey, but to dig in a little bit more, are there certain things along the way that you did? One thing that really, that I heard was you said yes. Like people asked you to take on more responsibility and you took it on. Um, are there other things that you did or other advice you would give um, that helped, really helped you reach the role that you are in today? Sure, I, I think you need to be confident and believe in yourself and your ability that you can do things. And that allows you to say yes. You know, sometimes you just have to take, you know, jump off the diving board, right? You know, if you're, if you never had children before, you're not exactly sure what it's like, and you don't really know till you're on the other side, it's just one example. And every career opportunity, whether you believe you have, you know, a super amount of knowledge or experience, if you have the confidence in yourself and the ability to learn, you should say yes. Um, you need to be collaborative. You know, one of my favorite expressions for anyone who knows me well is teams win the game. And that is the best, most fun way to work. So if you can create visions and objectives and get people aligned behind you, to me, that is, you know, a secret to success. 
um, and be decisive. You know, don't be afraid to, to have a point of view and be decisive and everything, you know, if it doesn't work out, use it as a learning experience and, and pivot and embrace opportunities and change. The world around us is evolving so quickly. The, the marketing and advertising services landscape is, you know, only accelerating the pace of change. And so, you know, embrace that. And what about saying no? Were there certain times in your career where you found that not saying yes to something, saying no, or pushing back on something was was helpful or almost like how do you know when to do that or how do you yourself determine when to do that? I think you have to um, know yourself. And I always tell people, you know, be careful of what you wish for. So if you are having a career discussion with someone, be honest. Because if you say you're really interested in learning something or you would love this opportunity and then you get it, you don't want to say no, you want to say yes. So I say just be careful what you wish for and what you ask for and make sure it's the right time in your life. You go through different phases. Some phases you need to kind of take it, you know, slower pace and, and just make sure you're dealing with that balance that you're trying to achieve. And then there's other periods in your life where you can go faster. And so to really just, you know, understand where you are in that journey. And any other advice? I mean, I, I really think it's really interesting in terms of your career that you've been at this company and you've evolved your role versus jumping around. Um, any other, if people are looking to do that, I mean, I think it doesn't happen as often for various reasons, but any other advice about beyond, you know, kind of taking on the different opportunities available within the company, was there anything else you did to kind of encourage that growth mentors you took on or, um, anything else that really helped you grow within the organization over the past 20 plus years? I always believed that you wanted to diversify your skill set. And, and that was a mission I was on from starting from auditing to leaving auditing to getting a broader, more diverse. And each different department or opportunity I had, I felt filled my toolkit a bit. Um, so that was one. And then I think people sometimes don't really value enough the brand equity you build over time and the, re and the reputation. So if you take on a role and just give it your best and succeed, that earns you a certain amount of brand equity that you can then leverage into other things. And people recognize that. They know who puts 150% in to everything they do and the work ethic. I think looking within for opportunities within that organization versus constantly looking externally is really helpful as well. Um, I don't think people necessarily think of that as much. So now we are going to do some of our games, um, have a little fun. This is, like I said, it's a career podcast. We'd love to hear about people's journey and career advice. Um, but we also have a fun thing that we always do, which is our classically annoying interview questions. We ask questions that you'll get asked at an interview they're usually annoying. You know that the person interviewing you has like a certain thing that they want to hear. They're weighted. Um, and so I always encourage the guests to either answer them how you would really answer them. Or if you prefer, you can answer them like how you think people should answer them to get, <laughs> to get the job. 
<laughs> so that that's up to you. Um, so we have a couple of interview questions, and um, and this is your job interview. I love to especially do this with people in higher executive roles. Who it sounds like you are definitely working with candidates a lot, but you probably haven't had a job interview in uh, in quite a while. So I will be giving you I will be giving you one. So the first question is, where do you see yourself in five years? I see myself more experienced and smarter for having used the, the years to learn as much as possible and even more capable to handle the challenges that come my way. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what do you think people want to hear when they ask that question? I think if there's a clear next step that's obvious, they may hear want to hear that you're you're gunning for that. Um, but I think they want to hear development. Right, that the energy that that you're just you know a lifetime learner and and you're not satisfied, you're not complacent. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think the growth is is really mm -hmm. helpful to hear. If you could choose a different career, what would it be? So this could go for me personally in a lot of different directions. If we stay on the business front, chief revenue officer, love to be primarily responsible for driving the growth. If we go in a completely different direction, maybe some of my passions or hobbies, interior decorating, fitness instructor. I love it. What's your what's your fitness of choice? Oh, I have many. Um, I mean, most currently it's the Peloton, but um, I've been a lifetime uh, workout person. So it's definitely a passion. I'm also a, Pelot a Peloton person and I feel <laughs> I'd love to do a study of a uh, women in communications and um, how many of them have a Peloton, work on the Peloton, work out in the Peloton. I think we find a lot. <laughs> I, I think so too. It has to be, it might be, it might be tied to success. And we love to ask these unique interview questions. So oftentimes companies are asking these kind of like silly seeming questions or out there questions oftentimes looking for a specific answer, but also, or also like a very specific strategic way of thinking. Um, so this one is from HubSpot. So if you're interviewing for a job at HubSpot, and the question is, if you had a choice between two superpowers, being invisible or flying, which would you choose? Definitely flying. If I can get places faster from one to the other and be more places in one day or one week, I would absolutely take that. That that actually brought brings me to another question that I just kind of had been thinking about in terms of travel for work. Do you travel a lot for I, work? I do. And how have you? Um, I am a mother to two two small girls, and I'm starting to travel more for my job. How have you over the years kind of balanced that? Because that's something I feel like we're never really talking about, and it's it is big to be away from your family for a significant amount of time. So when I was young, I used to lay out the clothes for the number of days I were <laughs> what's going to be gone for for each of my kids, because that would give me some comfort that I was still controlling what was going on in their life. And I'd write <laughs> them lunch notes and line oh. them all up for each day. And as your children get older, it gets easier. But I also used to turn around as quickly as I could. So if it meant going to Hong Kong for a day or two versus staying any longer than I need to, I would. 
So I would go to London for the day if that was required and, you know, as quickly as I could get back to them because it is very difficult being away, particularly when they're younger. I was just saying that I'm like, it's so funny that your mentality changes from like when it used to be, okay, I'm going to go to the West coast and I'm going to see this person and that person and do this. And now I'm like, how quickly can I get to California and back? Like, it's a really different mindset. Um, yeah, that, that, that's all good to hear. I try any way you can stay involved, um, but I'm sure everyone gets into a groove. We'll get into a groove over here too. We have reached our lightning round. So this does not have to be um, as lightning as it sounds, but a few short questions around career advice that we'd love to ask our guests. Um, the first being the best job you've ever had. Well, I have to say it's being a mom by far. I love it. That's amazing. And what's the worst job you've ever had? Dish crew in the college cafeteria. <laughs> it's truly disgusting. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty bad. That, that's pretty bad. Um, I love that question, that answer. I'm not sure anyone's ever said being a mom is their answer. Usually they say, <laughs> this job that I have now. So uh -huh. I think that's absolutely, absolutely amazing. What is the best career advice that you've ever received? I think it wasn't specific career advice, but it was from my dad when I was young. And he used to tell me, if you're going to put your name on something, make sure you were proud. And that's been a guiding force to me, you know, and as I strive for excellence in the things that I do. I love that. That's so fabulous. Have you ever received or heard a truly bad piece of career advice? Not really. Uh, I think, you know, people hopefully are thoughtful enough of, to either say something positive <laughs> or to, to keep it. So no, I have not. Or to, or to keep their mouth shut, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if it don't have anything productive to say. Right. What's a, you can do more than one or just one. Like what is a very memorable office moment or it could just be career moment um, throughout your career journey. What are a few things that you really look back to as the high points of your career? You know, if I focus on IPJ, you know, a big win from a client that was a team effort and the excitement and the joy that you see that brings. Um, a great capital markets transaction, again, team effort, super success, or completing a very large acquisition when we bought Axiom, which was the largest acquisition we did. Um, it was amazing to be part of that. Oh, that's, those, are, those are always the highlights. Those are so great. Do you, in terms of mentorship, mentorship, like, do you focus pro proactively on having mentors and mentees? Or is that something that just kind of happened naturally? I think there's a couple of different schools of thoughts around it. I know in New York Women in Communications, we have a mentorship program. So you really like get a mentor and a mentee, but oftentimes it just happens more naturally. What has your experience been like? I've had both. I've been a mentor and I've had mentees. And I've also had people that just organically became people that we were close to and shared experiences and, you know, you support and, you know, they can come to you for advice. And so I think it could work either way. 
Mm-hmm. And what, um, do you have any advice for a lot of the listeners of this podcast are younger, starting out in their careers. Do you have any advice to people who are looking for a mentor almost kind of to that point? Like, is it just something that can happen naturally or any tips for not being annoying, but proactively trying to get that mentorship? I'd say it's really a compliment if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, can we sit down and chat for, you know, whatever number of minutes every so often, because I'd love to get your opinion on some issue or some opportunity or just get your advice and just really build those relationships because networking relationships is really the way corporate America works, probably the way life works. And I think building those connections, I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't be completely flattered and take the opportunity to just say, yes, give them your time. I love that advice because I think people are so hesitant to ask. I mean, I always think about it, like making sure you go in with, it doesn't have to be a specific ask, but like with a plan or short amount of time, not to waste people's time or just be like, can I pick your brain for an hour? Um, But that's very encouraging to hear you say that as well that um, you know you can you can go for it and that people will be flattered to um, to be mentors. I think people are so often hesitant to ask. Um, so I think that's very, very helpful. I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we're supporting the talent and giving them career development opportunities and paths. And if someone raises their hand, you know, absolutely, you want to make sure that they're supported um, and they get what they need. We started the conversation talking about work-life balance, balance as we call it here, just like it's not even work-life anymore. It's just 360 balance. Do you have any thoughts or advice or just anecdotes on how do you create balance for yourself? So as we've talked, I've learned so much about your job. It's incredibly demanding. You prioritize family. You also are able to get fit in exercise. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that help you maintain some, I, I know it's not always, always possible or always the same, but some sort of, of balance. I'd say for the things that you can plan, definitely plan. I earmark time in the morning to work out, clears my mind, lets me focus on the day. I planned my physical life. So I didn't, live and work that far from my children's schools. You know, there's sac- sacrifices involved. Supposed to having a big yard. I spent, you know, a lot of my life in a New York City apartment, but I situated myself that I could get back and forth to the school and the office. So I didn't have to miss things. And I don't have those regrets. Um, so I'd say that's another thing. And don't beat yourself up. You know, it, it, it's never going to be perfect. And just try to be as present as you can be wherever you are. As we wrap up, do you have any um, books or podcasts, things that you love, listen to, read that have helped you in your career um, beyond just entertainment things that or or something that's pure entertainment that's really helped you clear your mind? Um, any anything that you consume that has helped you? I recently rewatched for the second time um, 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible. And I'm not sure if you're aware of what it is, but it's a documentary about an epic mountain climber 
who um, broke the record for climbing 14 peaks in the shortest amount of time, which was seven months. And it was such an inspiring piece of work and an accomplishment of literally nothing is impossible that you set your mind to it. And to me, you know, having those types of visions keeps you really going and pushing forward. I love that. No, I don't know that, but that is something I will add to my list. 14 peaks. Where can you watch it? Netflix. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so, so much for this time. It, I have learned a ton. It's been so valuable to me. And so it will be so valuable for our listeners. We really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Do you, are you available on social media? Are there places that you like people to connect with you? Um, or do you keep it all private? They can reach me on LinkedIn or my email addresses on our website and um, love to support other women out there. So feel free. Amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for your time. And I really, really enjoyed having the time to talk to you. I liked it as well. Thank you. You've been listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to our incredible producer, Liz Roberts, and the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grizet, Mandy Carr, Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music, and all of the wonderful volunteers on the podcast committee. A special thank you to Donna Jean Plant and everyone at New York Wiki who supports us. For more information about New York Women in Communications, including how to join and all about upcoming events, go to nywiki.org. That's nywiki.org. And please take a moment to rate and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.